All right, my goal today is to help us get a better lay of the land in respect to living in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit. So sort of a 30,000-foot view of where we are, where we live, and how we need to approach this spiritual life that we have been called to. So we all show up in the Christian life pre-trained, badly. Pre-trained, but badly. So we need to be retrained. And the word we use for that is the word sanctification. And of course, that results in being conformed to the image of Christ. And we use the phrase fruit of the Spirit. And we read a listing here. Neither of these are complete lists, of course, but we read that here, verses 22 and 23. We also read in verse 16 that we are likewise restrained. Neat little outline there, huh? We've been pre-trained badly, and that stays with us, by the way, does it not? It, it do, quite often. Uh, we've been pre-trained, now we need to be retrained, and we talked last week, fundamentally we talked about the fact that we are, in many ways, we can be restrained. And so this morning I'd like to share with you how I think this works out, and if in some of the details you disagree with me... Um, well, you know, you might be wrong. <laughs> uh, that's fine, of course. We all, by the way, I disagree with me quite often, okay? Uh, we, all, we are all growing and, and learning. Uh, but I understand that. Uh, but I think I can make a good argument uh, for what I'm going to lay out before you today. And I just thought for the fun of it, because I haven't done this before since I've been here, I have over 60 scripture texts written down. So I am launching from here, but it really looks more like a topical sermon, and I did not mean for that to be the case. But here we are. I can't go back and change it. Matter of fact, I had about, after studying this week, it turned out to be about three sermons. And I said, okay, this is what we'll do this morning. We'll bite this piece off. So I want to make in two uh, foundational statements this morning and try to work within that layout, if I might. The first is this. The new birth is spoken of in terms of the heart. Okay? We talk about the new birth. We talk about a new heart, particularly in the Old Covenant uh, promises. For example, Ezekiel 36, 26, we've used this a couple times. We read, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, we read, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Jeremiah 31, 33, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Paul wrote the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3.3, 3, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tablets of human 
hearts. 1 John 4, 19, we love Him because He loves us, speaking of the heart. Romans 5, 5, and of course we could do this one, we could do these all day, we won't, but Romans 5, 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Back to 1 John. By the way, we've been reading, if you've been paying attention, 1 John in our scripture reading on Sunday mornings. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is Love. I was sharing this with my wife yesterday, and of course she, uh, well, she puts most of this in here in the, anyway, but she gave me the illustration of when a person falls in love, and initially in that relationship, the, the gears of that relationship are, are greased, aren't they? Everything seems to run smoothly in that relationship. Everything seems to work well. The, the couple is full of optimism. Buddy, they're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun, aren't they? <laughs> they go back and they say, I've met the one. Well, what, how are you guys going to, oh, we're, we, we're going to make it work. <laughs> the mother says to the daughter or the dad, you know, well, you know, that job he has flipping burgers isn't going to, oh, it'll work out. <laughs> you know, everything just, we're going to live on love. That's about the way it goes. But over time, practical issues sort of come up, don't they? Things that require being thought through. You know, the little nuances. I remember a, a couple that got married and they're late, well, she was in her early 30s, he was in his late 30s, this was when I was in college, and uh, that, just saying I was in college surprises most of you, doesn't it? (laughs) They got married, and they had a lot of problems, you know, because she was a little older, she had spent some time in the army, uh, and uh, he was, uh, well, he might have been pushing, he might have been 40 when they got married, and they had, they had a lot of traits going, sorry to hit so close to home over there, and uh, they... (laughs) They, uh, you know, but they had those well-grooved ideas about how they were going to live and they had lived a lot of their adult life and those practical issues were really tough and difficult to get through. You know, the habits, the normal patterns of life, personality traits and the, the clashes and those types of things. Why? Because it starts out the love and all of that, but then the real life kind of sets in. So what do we do if you're a counselor? Well, the first thing you do is you try to remind them of their love and commitment. Remember how that greased the wheels? Let's get back to some of that. But then the second thing you do is you try to help them to begin to think differently. You work on their thinking. How often have we heard this phrase? Marriage is hard work. You got, we got to start working on your brain here. We got to help you start to do some uh, patient retraining. One of the words we brought up already. Matter of fact, I noticed this in Proverbs. Here's the outline in Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
All right, well, I've been saved. I got a new heart. But then it says, and do not lean on your own understanding. understanding. That's your thinking, right? So I came to the Lord and he gave me a new heart. Boy, was I excited when I got saved. Man, I was excited. I, we used to, I've told other, many of you, we used to go out and stay on the street corner and when the cars would back up during traffic time, we'd preach to that car, those cars. The light would go. We weren't, we weren't begging for money. Now I see that's pretty popular. But uh, they, we'd preach to those cars, give them the gospel, and have a buddy on the other corner and the, the light would turn green. They would go and the cars would back up on that corner. He'd preach the gospel and we'd stand there for several hours just preaching the gospel. We had strip malls back then, a popular movie come in town. People would line up and uh, go into the movies and uh, we'd pull up with my little MGB convertible. We'd pull it right up, stand up, and we'd preach the gospel while they were all standing there. We were excited. We had the love. We didn't worry about money. We didn't worry about being tired. We didn't worry about being sick. We didn't worry about anything because the love. But over time, that thinking that we were trained in for all those years living in the kingdom of darkness began to, began to come through and create some problems. So the first statement was the new birth is spoken of in terms of the heart that is a new heart. The second statement that I want to make is sanctification often is spoken of in terms of the mind. And sanctification will not be complete until we get a new body, which includes a new brain. When we come to Christ, or when we came to Christ, we were given that heart, that new heart, but not a new brain. Therefore, we need for, uh, the need for sanctification comes from the fact that we've spent a lot of time having our brain trained, as I said earlier, badly. So this sanctification, again, re- re- involves this retraining of our thinking. And we'll come back to that, but let's spend a little more time on the new birth, that is regeneration. So what I want to do now, is I'm going to hold this paper in my hand, which I hate to do, but I want to, I want to, I want to look at a bunch of scriptures, and I want to look at what it was like for us before and what it's like after. I'm going to put a heart across there just to help you remember before and after, and I want to Look at some things. Let's look at a bunch of scriptures here. I'll, I'll read them to you. And how the Bible defines us before and after. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For as by a man death came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So before I was saved, I was... Well, yeah, but what I want you to notice, I was in Adam. But now I am in Christ. So something is very different, is it not? Very different. Now you can look at um, uh, a, a very important one there, Romans 8.1. There, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The, the, if you ever want to look, study this out, Romans 5 is the best place. Romans 5.12-21. That's where you'll find the, 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 the clearest dissertation on this understanding of what it means to be in Adam and in Christ. We don't have time for that now. Let me give you another contrast. Romans 6, 14. For sin, and then you can, now that you understand what we're doing, maybe you can help me with this. 
For sin will have no, no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. What goes here? Under, under where? You got it. All right. Under what? All right. You're getting it. Okay. Let's try another one. Galatians 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What goes here? Okay. We've already got that. So what goes here? Led by Spirit. Okay, so the point I'm trying to make here is these things are objectively true. Does that make sense? These things, these, this is unchangeable, okay? Whether I do a good job or a poor job today, I am in Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. You're not amening that I did a poor job, by the way. Some of you, I think that's what you were going for. Whether I do a good job or a bad job, I am under grace and I am led by the Spirit. All right, let's do another one. Romans 7, 4, likewise, now this is uh, applicable to the Jews, but we can still see ourselves in this. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God, verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Can you give me something there? Released. There's another one there. Yeah. We have, it says died. That's right. Now, as we go through these, I want you to think about something here. If these are objectively true, how often do you see these in your own thinking? Now, we're trying to retrain our thinking. How often in your own thinking do you consider these not to be true? What bondage do we put ourselves in? Let's look at another one. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. We don't need to read the rest of that verse just for time's sake. Crucified with Christ. How often I see crucified with Christ. Think about that for a second. How often I hear people say, well, in, in some ways I'm crucified with Christ, in some ways I'm not. So should I believe you when you say that, or should I believe Galatians 2.20? Yeah. All right, let's see here. Galatians 2.24. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. Is that true or is that not true? Romans 6.6, 6, so we know that our old flesh was crucified with him. Is that true or not true? It's true. These things are objectively true. So what I'm trying to do is get us, a, 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 like I said, an overview here to, to, to see the lay of the land. My fear, I remember, uh, well, I say remember, just myself and uh, uh, Matt and uh, Jace were talking, so I've, you weren't in this conversation. I come from a legalistic background, okay? And maybe some of you do too, but we did not believe these things were objectively true coming from legalism. 
the legalism was imposed upon us because we believed these things were not true. We had to have the legalism in order to tame all of these things because we did not believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the advent of the Holy Spirit could take care of these things. And we lived in fear, believing that Christ could not and did not gain the victory. We, could, we had to live in, under this. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Do not read these books. Do not read outside the family. Do not do all of these things because if you do, oh, you're still saved. You have eternal security. But buddy, your life is going to hell in a handbasket. And the truth of the matter is, I see that same spirit all around me. A very defeatist, attitude, I don't want to use, maybe spirit, a sense that some of us can never, a sense that maybe we may not get the victory in Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. You know why I'm going to get the victory in Christ? Because the victory is already here. It's not me trying to get the victory. Listen to Romans 6. What shall I say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace be abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Did Paul say, no you shouldn't. Because that would be a very bad thing to do. That would be what a legalist would say. Paul's like, continue in sin? You died to sin. You died to sin. You died to sin. Is that objectively true? You died to sin. Where? Because this guy is dead. He is no longer your representative head. Verse 3 of that that, uh, chapter. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We are buried therefore by him with... Baptism into death in order that Jesus, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Romans 6.11. Romans 6.11 is a verse that is so often misunderstood. So also mu- so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Okay? Alive to God. How often I hear people say, okay, Romans 6.11, I just got to pretend like I'm dead. Is that pretend or is that objectively true? The word consider there means to reckon, conclude, or take inventory. What it means is to look at it and understand what it is. That is that it is true. It means the old man, the man you used to be under Adam, is actually dead. So to reckon it is not to pretend or act like it's true. It means to take inventory it, to take inventory of it so you can realize it is in fact true. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. Even when we were dead, 
in trespasses and sins. So this is what I were. We'll just put sins here for short. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. We'll believe alive to God. By grace, you've been saved and raised up with him. And who knows that next word? You said it. Who said it? Seated us with him in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We are seated with Jesus. Now, how many believe that's true? It is, in fact, true. Where is he seated? The right hand of the Father. He's seated in the position of authority. Where are you seated? With him in authority. So why are you going to blunder and fail? Why do you think you have no power in Christ to be sanctified? Progressively sanctified. Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think that there is no power available to you in you to be progressively sanctified? And and I even hate saying it that way as though it's all you. Why do you think Jesus is going to fail to get to for you? The spirit of God is going to fail to sanctify you. Why do you think this is a hopeless endeavor? Why? Okay, we used to say all the time, we'd say, buddy, I'm excited to be a believer because I read the last chapter. I'm I'm just as excited as that about being sanctified. Because I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, Matthew. Listen to verse 6 of that same chapter. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Had to be in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The body of sin might be brought to nothing? Do you realize what you used to be and what you are no longer? So that we would no longer be... That's it. Yep. Oh, that's right. You've memorized all of this, haven't you? Enslaved to what, brother? To To sin. You were enslaved to sin. Which means you are no longer what? Uh, Where is it? Slave sin. For one who has died has been set free. Romans 6 6. We know. That our old self, you sure you're set free? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We did that for one who has died has been set free. I think we just read that. For sin will have no dominion over you. That's verse 14, verse 18. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free to regard, uh, you were free in regard to righteousness. How about that? You were free from righteousness. Isn't that amazing? You thought you were a good person. A number of you talked about witnessing this morning, which was a huge blessing. 
How about that? Those lost people are free from righteousness. You want to talk about, you want to talk about not being a good person. Verse 22 of chapter 6 of Romans, But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. The fruit that leads to what? Sanctification and it's in eternal life. Romans 7, 5, For while we were living in the flesh. What was I living in? Living in flesh. Wait a minute, what side of the board is that on? So if I was living in the flesh here, guess what that means over here? Yeah, it means I'm not living in the flesh. How often times we talk about Christians living in the flesh? Now I know we sometimes use the wrong words. It's not like I ever do. Huh. All the time. But that's what the Bible says. Romans 8. Oh, that, we're right there at it. Romans 8, 8 and 9. I'm going to just read you the NIV. Listen to what it says. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If anyone... uh, Okay, listen. You are in the realm of the Spirit. Listen to this. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Boom. You are in the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Boom. I'm just trying to get you to think the word boom's in there. That's why I keep doing that. Uh, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to Him. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? If you're a believer... You live in the realm of the Spirit, period, in the conversation. All right. Romans 7, 25. Thanks be to God. Listen to the powerlessness of this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. Look what's over here. Listen to Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. So over here is the law of sin. Over here is the law of the Spirit of life. (laughs) Law. Are you getting the picture? You getting the picture, yes or no? Are Are you seeing where you and I live versus where we used to live? Are you seeing the victory that we should be having in our lives? Are you seeing, what was the word the other day? Mind game? Are you seeing the, 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 the terrible mind games that the world plays on us, convincing us what we don't have in Christ? Listen to Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. I hope those of you looking down are looking stuff up or reckon, taking notes. I hope you're not uh, somewhere else. And transferred us in the kingdom of his beloved son. It, it's, it, sometimes it, it seems like we don't cherish and understand all that God has given to us and, and who we are and where we are. It's, it seems like we, we've like, like, okay, well, I've joined this social club and I'm going to do the best I can. That's kind of the sense we give off sometimes. Well, I'm just trying, you know, just trying. 
Do you not realize we are in the land of new creation? Our king is the creator of the universe. Our leader, our, 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 our ever-present, all-powerful God. We read in Galatians 1.4, He gave Himself to deliver us from this present age. That's, this is what that means. <laughs> i got two more, it looks like. Romans 6.6, 6, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. Colossians 3 makes that clearer, this idea of the old self, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed, we use the word retrained, in knowledge after the image of its creator. So you have the old self, forgetting how to spell, old self, new self, and then of course the one we all know, that gets talked down all the time as well. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, two things are true. We've come to Christ, or since we've come to Christ, two things are new. One, we love God. We've been given a new heart. Yes? If anyone doesn't love God... They don't know God. Soteriology 101, forget what they have to say. Two, we're already trained, though very poorly. Well, we're trained 180 degrees wrong. Let's just put it that way. The former means we have a new heart. We love God. The latter means we don't have a new brain, which further means we need to be retrained and constantly restrained. The heart is never neutral. Jeremiah made it clear, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The brain, however, can be retrained, except Romans 1.28, right? God gave them up to a debased mind. So remember, the law could not change the heart. Romans 8.3, several places in Hebrews makes that clear. But the Spirit has done that and continues to change their mind. And also you can add the conscience there as part of the mind. It needs to be retrained. Remember your conscience. You can actually uh, think you're doing the right thing because of your conscience and be doing the wrong thing. Now, tons of imperatives in the Scripture. And I had a bunch of them written down, marked a bunch of them out. Let's just focus on, a, on the ones that talk about the mind. Romans 8, 6. For to, set, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Paul gives an admonition here that doesn't speak of the mind here, but I want to point it out for a particular reason. Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But why is that important? Verse 23 says it. We ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. What do we do? He says we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Why do we do that? Well, we still have our old bodies, right? Anybody get tired? Anybody get sick? Anybody think they might die one day? So we have our old bodies, our old brains. People even struggle with brain injuries. One day we'll have new bodies and brains, and that struggle will end. 
Very well-known verse, Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind. We can transform our thinking, ladies and gentlemen. Philippians 2.5 Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2.16 Paul says, as a mature believer, we have the mind of Christ. A couple of the works of the flesh listed by Paul are quite interesting here. Witchcraft. Who knows what that Greek word is? A number of you do. Pharmakia. Yes. Means medication, right? What does that stuff do? It messes with the mind, doesn't it? How about drunkenness? That's another one. It messes up. Who said that? Who knows that from personal experience? (laughs) Hence we read Ephesians 5, 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We all know how alcohol abuse affects the mind. I've been to so-and-so's house. Made me think of Proverbs 31, 4 and 7. Listen to Proverbs 31, 4 and 7. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or rulers to take strong drink. Why would the writer say that? Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. You want to go to court and, you're, and the judge be drunk? I'll give you 30 years for jaywalking. But who does he say give it to? Listen to this. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing. He says, you're on death row. Give him all he can handle. Paul refers to the former life. Ephesians 2, 3. He says this. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. Chapter 4, verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, what were they taught? This is what He says. To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Colossians 1, I'm sorry, Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, what do we do? Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. Now, what's the purpose or point? Or what is my purpose or point? Because I honestly have a, this is very personal to me. I want to bring balance to our thinking. Too many believers see themselves as having a root of evil in them that is unconquerable. And that is not the case. As a pastor of a fundamental Baptist legalistic in-your-face church prior to today, (laughs) not at the moment, 
A fundamental tenet of legalism is that you are a bad person. Post-salvation. It has to be that way or the whole system collapses. And I think some of you still believe that about yourselves. It is that you have not really died in Christ. And I want to tell you under the authority of Scripture, if you are a believer, that is simply not true. I had a page saved. Uh, There it is. Listen to what Jesus says here. Matthew 7, 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Listen Listen to what he says in chapter 12. And then he goes on to say, you should know them by their fruit. Listen to chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Verse 35. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Listen, according to Jesus, there are good trees and there are corrupt trees. And true believers are good trees. If you're a believer, you're not a bad person. You're a good person because you're in Christ. You hear me? One of the things we always harped on is that we're just a bunch of sinners barely saved. Back in the day. You know, what I think when I see this defeatism among Christians and It's like being given a million dollars in your bank account while being under crushing debt and not knowing it. So you continue to live and struggle under the burden, believing there's no way out, when in fact the answer is right there. And may I say to you this morning, the truth is that the old you that was under the headship of Adam has been crucified and your heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh, a heart that responds to the love and mercy of God Almighty. And what is left is a battle for and within our minds. The victory comes from humbly and patiently realigning your thinking patterns according to Scripture. So understand, if you think God saved you to live a spiritual mediocrity, then you will live in spiritual mediocrity and cynicism. Because I've done it. But when you understand that that is simply not the case, guess what? You will then learn over time that through your own experience, that it is simply not the case. Your thinking and therefore your conscience can be progressively sanctified and then you will see the character of Christ, that is the fruit of the Spirit, bear out in your own life. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.13, May God Himself sanctify you through and through. And by the way, I bet people around you have seen you change through the years if you have not. If you're discouraged at your own progress and sanctification, I bet people around you have seen it. And if they haven't, well, that's another issue altogether. So let me encourage you. The parable of the sower, Luke 8, 15. Listen to the end there about those that are planted in good ground. It says they bear fruit with 
patience. Patience. Clearly we must be patient. Now James is talking, I believe, about 70 A.D. here in James 5.7, but that's not the point. It's applicable to all situations as we wait on the Lord. Listen to what he says. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He goes on, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. And then I would add this, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Brothers and sisters, The glory of God rests within us. The Spirit of God Almighty. You need not be discouraged. We all go through difficult times for sure. But look at this list. Do you see that? God through His mercy and grace has done this. We need not be discouraged. Yes, there is a battle going on in this brain of yours, but you have been horribly trained. Your parents were awful. So were my kids' parents. There is a world around us and the prince of the power of the air is busy as he can be. But look what God has done. The victory is ours. So be patient. And continue to retrain this mind you have. The Spirit of God, you walk with the Spirit, that is that retraining, and He will restrain you. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.